Are you that weirdo who's seen every episode of I've Survived, I Shouldn't Be Alive, and I've Survived a Serial Killer? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. Let me... Do you remember your name? I do remember my name today. It's a good day. Well, look at you. Aren't (laughs) you so clever? I am. I'm a genius. Someone's a show off, but Uh, that's fine. I've been taking lion's mane. It's been repairing my brain cells. Anywho. Okay. Welcome or welcome back. If you're not new here, I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. Ta-da! We're back with the main episode. Yes, and we are doing Survivors today, which is one of our favorite topics. Definitely. But before we get into Survivor stories, let's go over the drink because it's kind of a big dill. Oh, is this, (laughs) are you being punny? I'm being punny. I um, am drinking... A dill gin and tonic. Ooh, yum. You love a savory cocktail. I do. It's delicious and it's super easy. Anybody can make it if you're 21 and over. Even a caveman can do it? Even a caveman. <laughs> oh my God. Remember those commercials? So random. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it is just dill pickle juice, a little splash of lemon, gin and tonic. Bada bing, bada boom. Exactly. And I I like to garnish with a lemon twist and a sprig of fresh dill. And it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, I can't wait to see the picture on our Instagram. And can I make a small confession? Yes, of course. As a child, I used to sneak and drink pickle juice out of the jar. Oh, my gosh. No wonder we're friends. I <laughs> actually love pickle juice. I love dill pickles. I made a dinner. We've talked about this before. And my husband will say, if you ask him, what's the worst dinner I've ever made? It's dill pickle chicken, (laughs) hands down. And it's my favorite. I love pickles and I love dill pickle juice. Any kind of pickle juice, really. Uh, And it's good for your muscles, I think. I just think I must have been deficient in like 19 vitamins to crave pickle juice, but it's fine. I think you're probably right because they do give pickle juice shots to extreme athletes or long distance <laughs> runners it's supposed to like replenish the iron in your mm-hmm. muscles or something I don't know it's, it's amazing and I was both as a child so that makes sense <laughs> well yeah that's your your body just knows what you need so like Tiffany said pictures and recipe is on Instagram per usual and without further ado let's just get into it are you going first or am I going first um I will go first okay I was trying to decide if I wanted to set down my cup at the same time or separately from me talking. That was that was the delay there. Okay, and you told me a little bit about this story, and I just want to issue a quick trigger warning for violence and essay. Thank you. Um, yeah, I didn't intend on doing such a disturbing story initially when I was researching, and I will say I did have nightmares after my first day of research. Oh, yikes. So thank you for the trigger warning. Okay, so my sources are northjersey.com 
Um, we'll have this link in our show notes. Mm-hmm. They did an incredible in-depth report on the story that I'm covering today. They have videos. They have a huge article, multiple articles. So if you want more information, I highly recommend you checking them out. They, um, There's more information there than I could cover in our time constraints. And they did a fantastic job. Um, I also read an article from Washington Post, New York Times, and all that's interesting. Today, I'm going to tell the survivor story of Tiffany Taylor. Through her quick thinking and bravery, she not only saved herself, but countless other women. Because Tiffany Taylor survived a brutal attack from a serial killer. (sighs) And not only did she survive, but she testified against him in court. Oh, man. Okay. This story is not just about the incredible strength of Tiffany Taylor, however. There are other heroines in this disturbing story. Bassania Daly, Lamia Brown, and Samantha Rivera, whose fearless investigation helped crack the case. Elizabeth, New Jersey, 2016. Tiffany Taylor did not have an idyllic upbringing. She lived in public housing in Jersey City, New Jersey, and regularly saw violence growing up. She said herself that she saw two boyfriends die before she was 18. Oh my gosh. I know. I can't even imagine that kind of trauma. At 18, Tiffany attended college in Florida for a short time, but ended up back home after a couple of years when she found out she was pregnant. Tiffany struggled to find work and eventually turned to sex work to make money. Sometimes she would just rob Johns instead of having sex with them, especially if she um, found out they were married. So, in 2016, a mutual friend introduced Tiffany to 20-year-old Khalil Wheeler Weaver. At the time, Tiffany was like a decade older, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure she wasn't too impressed or interested in Wheeler. Mm -hmm. She was in her 30s. He was 20. Right. Because they shared a mutual friend, they hung out a few times. He got her number. Wheeler pressed her for sex on multiple occasions, and in the beginning, Tiffany turned him down. Finally, she agreed with the sole intent of robbing him only. So they met at his house. I believe he lived with his family or his mom at this time. And Khalil paid Tiffany $200. She said, oh, I left something in the car. I'll be right back. And then she just left. So she she robbed him. So let's fast forward a bit. It's six months later. Mm -hmm. Tiffany Taylor is pregnant again. She is working random odd jobs just trying to get by right she begins getting texts from an unknown number asking her for sex and I'm just assuming because she was a sex worker or former sex worker maybe these texts weren't totally out of line um but she told the person no repeatedly Mm -hmm. before once again relenting and agreeing to meet with the unknown texter now this sounds totally dangerous and risky But I'm sure the texts from the John side were about money, money that Tiffany desperately needed. Mm -hmm. And desperate people do desperate things. Right. So they decided to meet up at a Ritz motel where Tiffany had been doing the odd jobs for a friend. The John showed up in a terrifying costume of a black ski mask and gloves. And he immediately said he was cold as if he knew what he had on was totally fucked up. Tiffany drove the two of them. And after a few minutes, the John asked if she could pull over, so she turned off the main road and parked. Then she lost consciousness. 
Oh, no. When she woke up, Tiffany was handcuffed and being strangled and raped. This was done repeatedly. He had wrapped half of her face and head in duct tape. Tiffany could barely breathe through the tape and her tears. At this point, the John removed his ski mask and revealed he was, in fact, Khalil Wheeler Weaver. Oh, that little fucker. Which, at this point, to the listener, and I'm sure you, it's blatantly obvious that's who it was. But imagine this happening in real time. You are being viciously attacked, and then the attacker reveals himself as the super young guy that you kind of know. Someone in your outer circle. I'm just wondering, would that be... I thankfully have never been in a position like this, but would that be, I can't, I can't even answer. Would it be more terrifying or kind of put me in a place where I'm like, okay, know this person at least a little bit. And it would give me some kind of leeway to maybe reason or have a more of a conversation than going, this happening to me by a complete stranger. I I don't know anything about. Tiffany said that when he revealed himself to her, that it sort of solidified the idea in her mind that he was going to murder her. Okay. So more terrifying because at that point she could ID him and that was probably the first thing when she saw his face. Oh shit, he's going to fucking kill me. Yeah, it is. It's so, so scary. Yeah. And awful. Tiffany was smart and immediately began thinking about how to survive. At first, she begged for her life and the life of her unborn baby. Oh, that's right. I completely had forgotten that she was pregnant at this point. I know. It's a whole nother layer of terror. Yeah. Wheeler didn't seem to care. In fact, he claimed he knew she was pregnant. She asked if he would loosen the handcuffs slightly because she was in pain, which he did. Mm-hmm. Then Tiffany reminded him, which is just, is just her quick thinking. Tiffany reminded him that they had a text conversation earlier that day, a conversation that would be incriminating to him if something were to happen to her. She pleaded with him that he would, if he would just take her back to the hotel, she would give him the phone. Yeah, she, good, quick, smart thinking. I mean... She had been doing sex for sex work for a while, so I'm sure that she was probably incredibly street, street smart. Savvy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wheeler agreed and jumped in the front seat and began driving them back to the Ritz Motel. At this point, I think Wheeler thought he'd force her to give him the phone mm-hmm. and then he'd kill her. Mm-hmm. But Tiffany had other plans, and sometimes all you can do is buy some time. Yeah. When they got back to the motel, he ripped off the duct tape and escorted her back to her room. He put her jacket over her handcuffed arms. She was her arms were handcuffed behind her, and he like draped her coat over her. Um, but what he didn't know is that Tiffany had slipped her hand out of one of the cuffs because she was slightly double jointed. And when he loosened the cuff, she was able to get one hand free. When they got to her room, she pushed the door open, rushed inside, and slammed the door behind oh her. Oh my god! So the door automatically locked him out. She then showed Wheeler through the window that one of her hands was freed, and Wheeler took off. Tiffany Taylor then called the police. When the police came, they basically blew her off. Oh my gosh. I was was thinking to myself, please don't tell me, please don't tell me that they blew her off. 
And that's they ex- didn't really believe her story. Mm. Um, okay. So nothing happened to Wheeler. I'm calling I'm calling him Wheeler. His name is Wheeler Weaver. Um just to clarify, just easier for me. Um nothing happened to Wheeler at that time. But at the very least Tiffany Taylor survived and so did her unborn baby. She now has two daughters. Oh my goodness. Seven days after the attack on Tiffany Taylor, Khalil Wheeler-Weaver murdered Sarah Butler, his final victim. Sarah Butler was 20 years old and a student at New Jersey City University. In high school, she excelled in dance. She studied fusion of ballet, modern jazz, and African dance and was a part of a traveling troupe. When Sarah began classes at New Jersey City University, she was the first member of her family to attend college. So Sarah was home for Thanksgiving. She met Wheeler on a dating app called Tagged. The night of November 22nd, 2016, she told her mom she was going to meet a friend. Sarah never came home. Her friends and family immediately knew something was wrong. After not being able to reach Sarah, the police became, became involved. When police discovered Sarah's car, panic set in and the women in Sarah's life sprung into action. Sarah's sister, Bassania Daly, and her two friends, Lamia Brown and Samantha Rivera, logged into her social media as well as her tagged account to check any activity that might lead them to Sarah. And they found that she had made plans with a mysterious man on Tagged, which was that dating app. Mm -hmm. So these fearless women made their own fake Tagged account and reached out to the man that had last seen their friend. Oh my goodness. He took the bait, and they made plans to meet at a public place for a date. So, Wheeler showed up to this restaurant, and instead of meeting a young woman as was planned, as he had done with Sarah, he was met by the police. Yes. Police didn't immediately arrest Wheeler. Um. But once the body of Sarah Butler was found, they knew who their main suspect would be. So the evidence against Wheeler began to pile up, clearly. He was not only the last person to see Sarah Butler, but there was more. In his vehicle, there was a cleaning kit, zip ties, and lighter fluid. Wheeler's cell phone proved to be a crucial piece of evidence. And using a tool created by NASA, police got into the phone and took its data without needing his password. Also, Wheeler's phone could be tracked to the locations of multiple crime scenes. Okay. So, Wheeler primarily used the aforementioned dating app Tagged to meet and lure his victims, like he did with Sarah. Because of the location tracking and conversations through the dating app, the phone provided pretty damning evidence against Wheeler. Not only evidence of the crimes against Sarah and Tiffany, but also two other victims. Wheeler's first victim was Robin West, who was just 19 years old. West's mother, Anita Mason, told the AP reporter, quote, She loved music, loved to dance, loved to sing, loved her family, loved little children, loved elderly people. She loved dogs and all living things, end quote. Her scorched body was found in a burned abandoned house in Orange, New Jersey in September of 2016. Robin's body was so badly burned it had to be identified by dental records. Oh my goodness. Joanne Brown was Wheeler's second victim. 
She was murdered in October of 2016, but her body wasn't discovered for a month. She was 33 years old, and at the time of her murder, she was unhoused. She enjoyed fashion and styling hair, and although she struggled with mental illness, people described her as joyful. Joanne was found with duct tape on her face and a jacket tied around her neck. Wheeler then attacked Tiffany Taylor, who survived, and his final attack was, as I said before, on Sarah Butler. All of this violence happened over 84 days. Oh my goodness. Which seems almost impossible. It, it does seem impossible, and it also is seems like he, if it wasn't for Sarah's sister and her friends and Tiffany Taylor, he wasn't going to stop until he was caught. No, I don't think he had any intention of stopping at all. So the police had him in custody mm-hmm. and, all, you know, have all this evidence, um, which, like I said, it seems like there's so much evidence. When you use your phone to speak to people and they all keep being viciously murdered, it mm-hmm. seems blatantly obvious that you're involved, right? Right, and they can track you going to the... Dump locations, locations yes. and the date locations and the mm-hmm. dating site. Yes. So let's get into the little bit of information I found on Khalil Wheeler Weaver. Okay. Um, there wasn't a ton out there, but this is all relatively new. Mm-hmm. Wheeler was described as quiet and nerdy. He didn't date much and had a handful of close friends. He grew up in a middle class home. His stepfather was a police detective. His uncle was a retired detective as well. His friends considered him funny. Um, He was, he is, I keep saying was, he is a pretty good looking clean cut guy. Mm -hmm. He drove a BMW. And let's not forget that he was only 20 years old at the time of these crimes. That to me is so insane that he's so, so young so young yeah there isn't a ton about him known like i said but so far there seems to be nothing about wheeler that would lead anyone to suspect him of heinous crimes like these right he's it sounds like one of those enigmas that by outwardly appearances he seems like a good catch handsome Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe later on something will come out i guess we'll just see yeah but um I'm sure they've done psyche valves out, out, you know, that aren't released because HIPAA, obviously. Yeah. And I also, reading about these stories, you know, researching all of this, I would not be surprised if he has done other things that we just don't know about. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like typically when somebody... um is a perpetrator of these types of violent crimes. Mm-hmm. There's typically a lead up, a, a ramping up mm-hmm. and a cooling off period. Mm-hmm. And then it like with these crimes, there's seems to be no escalation or cool down period at all. Mm-hmm. It's unusual that you would just kind of go into this, these types of crimes out of nowhere is what I'm saying. I, I can't really put it into words, but it just seems I wouldn't be surprised if he has been, if he has sexually assaulted mm-hmm. or abused people in the past, and it's just, we don't know about mm-hmm. it. So three years of gathering evidence, putting together a case, and finally came the trial. And here I will mention that at the time of his trial and his sentencing, Wheeler 
maintained his innocence. Okay. Um, even though, as I've said multiple times, there seemed to be a lot of evidence against him. Mm-hmm. Now, can I ask you a quick question? I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. Did they, at this time leading up to the trial, had they connected the case of Tiffany Taylor and Sarah, or were they just going to trial for Sarah's and um, the other two women? I believe once he was arrested, Tiffany saw the arrest Mm -hmm. and came forward. Oh, okay. On her own, as I believe what happened there, but they had linked the other cases together. As I said in my opening... Tiffany Taylor testified against Wheeler in court. Okay. For a full day. Oh my goodness. Which is, it's just amazing that she could even do that. She explained her terrifying assault. She told the whole story. And her testimony was crucial to linking all the crimes together in court. Tiffany Taylor was the nail in Khalil Wheeler's coffin. For sure, 100%. Yeah, good. They they said that they believed that without her testimony, they would have had enough evidence. But I think that Tiffany Taylor really made this an airtight case. Yeah, well, oh, a witness, a survivor. A surviving mm-hmm. witness and his attack was on her was very similar to the way other women were found murdered. Mm. Khalil Wheeler Weaver was found guilty on three counts of murder, as well as the kidnapping, sexual assault, and attempted murder of Tiffany Taylor. He was sentenced to 160 years in prison. Oh my goodness. Yes. Khalil Wheeler hunted, raped, and murdered women who were in marginalized communities, sex workers, unhoused women, people who were on the outside of society, aside from Sarah Butler. Mm -hmm. He did that on purpose because he thought he could get away with it. And you know what? As fucked up as it is, he might have without the bravery and investigative prowess of the three women who literally handed him over to the police. Yeah. Our society needs to do better. Yeah, absolutely. All people deserve to be safe. All people deserve protection from violence. If you don't think cases like this matter, don't listen to our show. No. Period. And... We've talked about this before, how difficult it is for sex workers and people in the sex work industry to report crimes like this because they're not taken seriously. That's why they're the highest percentage of people who get victimized. Absolutely. Because they're deemed um, by law enforcement and by the public, the general public, not worthy. Or in some way they deserved it because of their lifestyle, which is absolutely not true. Yeah, that's, you're exactly right. I hope that time brings peace to the family members affected here and that Tiffany Taylor is doing as well as she can out there. She may not feel like it, but she is not only a survivor, but also a hero. Absolutely. Absolutely. What an amazing survivor story. And a a heroine story. Yeah, there were several heroes, heroines in that story. And that was one thing that um, the North Jersey article mm-hmm. that I mentioned at the top, they really they really um, let it be known that women solved this case. Not the police, not anybody else. It was just civilian women mm-hmm. are the reason why this case was solved. And I totally agree with what you said that I don't think he – there was no he had no intention of stopping until he was caught. No. And the fact that he mur- he tried to murder 
and he murdered three women and tried to murder four women in 84 days that's it's uh, it's yeah that's lunacy he was an absolute wolf in sheep's clothing Mm -hmm. and though that those fuckers are scary it was a very scary story yeah good riddance goodbye enjoy your no do not enjoy your 160 years oh my gosh i have full body goosebumps that was insane thank you for telling that story i um Survivor stories are so inspiring. All right. Are you, are you ready for mine? Mm-hmm. All right. So I don't have a lot of sources for this. I actually couldn't find more than one source. Um, But it was a pretty good source. We all know the show I Survived. And this is from season three, episode two. And it is a survival story of Erlene. And they don't give a last name. So uh, unfortunately, I don't know Earlene's last name. But this happened in January 2009. Earlene was a new night receptionist for a hotel in Columbus, Mississippi. As she started her shift on this particular night, she noticed there was a man sitting at the computer in the lobby. Earlene immediately picked up weird vibes coming from the guy but being polite and professional she quickly pushed it out of her mind and went went about her night the manager who was at the end of her shift met Erlene at the beginning of her shift so they kind of crossed paths you know how you do kind of give the rundown at the end of the day when you're on your way out telling the person coming in what what's going on The manager warned her the man had been loitering all day. So he wasn't staying there? Well, he'd been loitering in the lobby all day. He'd been pretty much in the lobby at the computer all day. Oh, okay. Which, I'm glad you brought that up because if you think about it, at a hotel, that's not unusual. He's from out of town. Maybe he's there on business. Maybe he doesn't have anything until the next day. He's bored. It doesn't want to be in his room. Maybe he has other guests in the room that are like, you know, taking up the space, whatever. I've worked at a hotel before and I have to say this seems really fucking weird. But I guess if you're doing work all day on a computer, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, for me and also for Erlene, it was it was bizarre. Um, but you know, like, Hey, whatever, maybe you're, you know, maybe the person he's staying with just took a big dump in the room and stuck up the place. And he's like, you know, maybe they're sick. I, I don't know. Um, you, you always bring it back to somebody pooping. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, maybe he has a MySpace girlfriend and he's talking to her all day. Yeah, exactly. But really, may, I think you're absolutely right. And Erlene felt the same way. Immediately, she was like, this fucking guy is weird. But I I have to say, in my opinion, for the manager to tell Erlene that this guy was kind of in the lobby all day, she, Erlene immediately got like red flags, just like you did. But I, it really makes me angry that the manager would tell her this and then leave leave her there yeah have fun with this creep bye yeah like even you know when we were switching shifts at the bar we worked 
with anybody that worked there, and some of us were closer than others, like closer friends than others, if there was a creep there, we would, one, give a heads up, and we would never leave. Yeah. Never. Just be like, hey, there's like a really fucking creepy guy in the corner, but bye. Have a nice night. You know, try not to get murdered. Yeah. But coworkers are nicer than managers. Yeah, I guess. It doesn't, you know. So please don't ever do that. Don't ever, if if there's a weird person and you're going to leave someone alone with them, just don't. Um, all right. So the manager kicks rocks and Erlene is there alone with this fucking creepy guy uh, when another guest comes down to the lobby and asks for directions to a local steel mill. That is hard to say. Erlene didn't know where the mill was, but the man at the computer spoke up and said, hey, I know where it is, and gave him directions. Immediately. Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, immediately, Erlene was like, how the fuck does he know where this steel mill is? And he's not even from here. Why is everybody going to a steel mill? I don't. In the middle of the night? I don't know. What? Maybe they're having a rave. I don't know. <laughs> this is <laughs> the worst vacation I've ever been on. <laughs> First of all, this hotel sucks. Second of all, the only thing to do in this town is visit the steel mill. I just imagine that the steel mill. Uh, it is hard to I say. I can't. The sti- steel mill smells like that metallic metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, ugh, mm-hmm. I hate that smell. Um, so she's like wondering how the fuck does this out of town person know where the mill is? Um, but again, she didn't want to get reprimanded for questioning a guest. So she just asked him, what room did you say you were in? And he immediately answered right away, room 105, without even batting an eye. So she, I mean, Erlene is coming through with her gut. And she checked the room, the register for the room, and there was a one guest. And then that made her think, if there's only one guest, there's nobody in that room stinking it up. Why isn't he in she, his room? I mean, she, she didn't immediate- say that. Those are my words. <laughs> Well, that's actually smart, though. Yeah. I mean, she's right. There's no reason for him to be out of there. He doesn't have an annoying roommate in there. No. Hmm. Um, and as the minutes went by and the night went on, she could sense that he was becoming more and more menacing. She just said it was like this uh, tension was building. And she began to feel more and more uncomfortable. And it was just about the time... When she was like at peak uncomfortableness, uh, when he disappeared from the lobby, she had no idea where he went and, until she started to hear some noises from the kitchen that was connected to the lobby. Mm-hmm. And at this point, she's like, something is not right. It feels off. And she heads over to the door between the two spaces with the intention to lock him out of the lobby, to physically mm-hmm. bar him from coming to the back into the lobby and she got to the door and immediately a sinking feeling in her stomach there was no way to lock the door it did not have a lock oh my god and the kitchen was closed at this point so there was nobody else that could be in there no and she knew i can't keep him out of here she threw her hands up and said quote god it's in your hands i can't keep him from coming back in here so Erlene's at the desk and she looks up 
when she hears a door slam and it's him and he's coming towards her. And she said he had the look of pure evil in his what the eyes. His face looked like he thought she was the worst person on the planet and he had to take her out. Oh my God. She knew she, instantaneously that he was going to harm her, that he was going to try to kill her. And she thought to herself, what a fool I am. Why didn't I follow my instinct? And he was wearing a white coat. So he'd gotten a white coat out of the kitchen and also a pair of gloves. So I don't know if he stashed them in there or Mm -hmm. if he found them in the kitchen. That's what he was looking for. But he immediately began choking her. And at first, as he was choking her, she told herself, just go with it. Just go with it. It'll be over quickly. And whatever he does after this, you're going to be passed out or you're already going to be gone. Like it's, you're not going to know what happens or feel it. And she lost consciousness And then all of a sudden she jolts awake and thinks, no, I am not going to die tonight. And she started to fight back. And she was, you know, her arms were flailing and she was reaching for anything she could get her hands on. And she landed on the desk phone and she grabbed the desk phone and she swung for the fences and she connected right with his forehead as hard as she could. But it brought the opposite reaction she was hoping for. And instead of knocking him out, it enraged him further and he throws her to the ground and just starts to beat her mercilessly. <gasps> oh my God. They are flailing. They're, they're, she's trying to protect herself and they're, he's beating her and he's, they're bouncing off things in the lobby and they hit a desk, bump into a desk and it tosses the picture frames off the desk and it, they hit the floor and just broken glass goes everywhere. And he, grabs a huge piece of glass and jumps on top of her and starts stabbing her in the neck with a piece of glass oh my god in an attempt to cut her throat and he just keeps stabbing and that piece of glass slips or breaks and he grabs another piece of glass and is just going crazy and she's yelling and screaming she's um keeping her chin as close to her chest as she can to kind of bar any more stab wounds that's so smart. Yeah. And she's, I mean, to have that thought in the moment, like, yeah, I, you know, to have that presence of mind. That's, that's really, really smart. So the visual here is that he's wearing basically all white, holding a piece of glass in his gloved hand and stabbing her. Yes. I imagine him, I, I am imagining the, co- the white coat is like a chef's coat. Yeah. Um, and too. then whatever kind of gloves. And he is just stabbing her with a broken shard of glass from a picture frame. And at, she's screaming. She's uh, This is a horror movie. The, absolutely it is. And she's hoping any guest, anybody, can hear her screaming for help. Oh, yeah. Isn't he worried that somebody was going to walk in? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bates Motel. I don't know where this motel was. It didn't say. But And he just looks at her and he, and he says, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. And then all of a sudden, Erlene says a calm comes over her and she almost hears like this voice in her ear quietly saying, stay calm. You're going to be okay. Stop screaming. And she quiets down and she asks, okay, she says, okay, okay, okay. What do you want? And he 
he stops and he climbs off her and he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I have to do this to you, but I need money. I have a son. I need money. Yeah, I like, fuck your apology, dude. Also, you don't have to stab somebody in the neck. You can just, if you are really desperate for money somehow, I mean, there's no reason to rob somebody, but you don't have to murder somebody to rob them. No. So she says, okay, well, the cash register is in the front. There's a safe in the cabinets and I have $40 in my wallet. You take it. And her thought was when he goes for the money, she's going to make a run for it. But then that same feeling and that same voice came over her and said, don't run. He's going to freak out and he's going to catch you. So she stands there and she's in shock as he starts to destroy the lobby. He's ripping phone cords out. He's pulling drawers out. He's throwing stuff off the desks. He's like a tornado of destruction. And she's standing there with her hands out in a like, surrendering pose but also in a like what the fuck is actually happening kind of pose and she feels wetness on her hands like falling dripping from her hands and she this is the first time she looks down and there her hands are covered in blood and they're dripping and then she looks down on her shirt which is her uniform is normally blue it's completely red soaked in her own blood And she, this is the first time she looks down and is like, oh my God, okay, I am, I'm hurt badly and I'm losing a lot of blood. He grabs a phone cord and he heads to the back of the lobby and he says to Erlene, let's go. And all she could say was, please don't kill me. I have 15 grandchildren. Please, I want to see my grandchildren again. And he drags her to the back and he pushes her in a, in a closet. He slams the door and then she hears a click and it's locked. So this is about the time when, you know, her adrenaline is going, which is, it puts you in survival mode. But also when you have a huge cut like that, it's pumping your blood out faster. Mm-hmm. So she starts and she realizes for the very first time, um, I feel weak. I feel lightheaded. I'm losing a lot of blood. So she, she'd been strangled, beaten, stabbed in her neck, and she's now losing blood at a high rate. She grabs a blanket, which was in the closet, and she scrunches it up against her neck wounds, and she sits motionless for two hours. Oh, my God. Two hours in this dark closet with a blanket on her um, compressing her neck. After two hours, she starts to hear voices. A voice, a voice. And she's still frozen in fear. And she doesn't say a word, doesn't move. She's worried it's him. Mm -hmm. And he's come back to finish. He's either left and come back to finish what he started or he's never left. So she sits another 40 minutes when she hears the crackling of a radio. Oh, thank God. She knows this is this is rescue. Yeah. And then she hears a deep voice say, hello, hello. Oh, my God. Is anybody in here? And that's when Erlene lets it all go. And she screams, I'm in here. Get me out of here. I'm in here. And it took the fire department another 40 minutes to cut the lock off. Oh, God. Yeah. And when the door opened... Erlene said, quote, and I see some of the most handsome men I've ever seen in my life. 
Oh my God, I love her. Orlean is a woman after my own heart because <laughs> she has been to hell and back and she still notices a hot guy when she sees one. <laughs> I love a man in uniform. Yes. Yes. I love it. Oh my God. Yes. Um, they scoop her up. They put her on a stretcher. She was so terrified that she was even afraid that he was going to jump out from the crowd and somehow get to her on the stretcher with all these people around and attack her and finish it. She was so traumatized. I mean, you're, you think anything can happen to you after this happens. Yeah. Uh, Erlene makes a full recovery in the hospital and the man was apprehended the next day while working at his roofing job. What? Yes. Oh, God. He just went to work the next day? Yeah. You know his hands were covered in cuts. Yeah. I. It's like, what? He pled guilty. Now, this is where I wanted, I tried to follow up and find a news article, anything I could to see um, if he was convicted the, mm-hmm. the time he got what his name anything any explanation was he on drugs was he just terrible he'd done this before I could find nothing nothing but my favorite part of the show I survived is at the end when mm-hmm. the producers asked the person who survived why they think they survived and this is what Erlene said quote I survived because I was able to calm down and gain composure and take control of that situation. I survived because I had more life I wanted to live with my children. I survived because I wanted to spend more time with my grandchildren. And I survived because God has other plans for me. He has something for me to do. End quote. And that is a survival story of Erlene and how she was terrorized at her place of work and survived. That is a crazy story. Yeah. And so bizarre. Yeah. He went in there to rob a hotel so he stayed all day long first and then brutally attacked somebody that he didn't have to do any of those things. He didn't have to be there all day. He didn't have to attack anybody. He could have just walked in with a gun when it was just her because she was the night audit, right? She was. Mm-hmm. It was the nighttime front desk. Mm-hmm. He could have just walked in with a gun that didn't even have to be loaded, and robbed her in probably ten minutes. None of this is the. That, this is like a very. It's just weird. It is so weird. I'm so happy she's okay. Thank yeah. God she's okay. But none of his story makes any sense. I wouldn't be. Maybe he was on, like something I don't know I I so badly wanted to follow up and find out and I just want to say how lucky Erlene's kids and her grandkids are that Mm -hmm. she is their mom and their grandmother because she just seemed like a really cool lady and a really I mean to be able to stay calm and to have so much love for your family that would drive you to come out of being passed out from mm-hmm. being strangled because you're the strength of your love for your family I um yeah. the only thing I could think and I thought about it and I was like why Erlene why that time why was he there all day I thought the same thing maybe there's too much traffic too much foot traffic during the day and he was waiting to see the next shift and maybe he sensed that Erlene was new because she was new and you can tell when someone's new and maybe she seemed kind of unsure of procedures or maybe she's not in no way is this Erlene's fault this is mm-hmm. totally this like fucking he was pacing the joint yes and he just thought okay it's night 
she doesn't want to question me, you know, because mm-hmm. maybe the manager questioned him. But then again, why the look, it's not the manager's fault, but no. why would the manager allow someone to sit there all day when he wasn't a guest? Maybe he did buy a room with this intention. I don't know. But yeah. there's a lot of unknowns, but it is a, totally. it's still a great story. And I love Arlene. Me too. Erlene. 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 It's like Earl. Ean. Erlene. Can she be my extra grandma? <laughs> Or my mom. Can she be my mom, my extra mom, my bonus mom or my bonus grandma? Um, So I just thought that it was um, a good survival story to end on, you know. It was. It was great. Great job telling it, too. I felt like I was there. And that is horror movie. Yeah. That is horror movie uh, visuals. Yeah. And what the fuck kind of deserted hotel is this? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I worked at a small boutique hotel for a, a short amount of time. I never worked at night, though. I only worked during the day. There was just one, but there, but usually the night person I feel like was alone. Yes. So, and that's, I, that's very scary and very um, unsettling, you know, if anybody to be working, uh, even you think gas stations, you know, hotels. I closed bartending by myself all the time. Oh, my God. What an idiot. So did I. <laughs> I didn't even think about myself. It was not It was not safe. I was up by myself and literally locking the building at night and walking to my car by myself all the time. Taking the trash out. Yeah. It like was... Walking to our car. Yeah. Like, all kind... I just thought about that. I didn't even think about myself that, that I'd worked into the wee hours in the morning by myself. Yeah. Not safe. No... Oh my gosh! Yeah, and that. I mean, Cassie's just having a major. I am like having like a fucking podcast. epiphany right now. Like, holy shit! <laughs> well, that was a while ago. We were younger, and we thought we were invincible back then. Now we're older and wiser, and in and our old bones don't run as fast as they used to. <laughs> my old vocal cords don't scream as loud as they do you know I always have those speaking of your nightmare I always have those dreams where I can't scream you know where you're being attacked and you can't um mm-hmm. and I also have I used to I've I haven't had them in years but I used to have dreams where there was like an evil entity in the house and I couldn't say the words like get out of this house you're not welcome like I rebuke you like we could mm-hmm. I couldn't say those words and that's really scary to me so if you're a dream psychologist please send us please diagnose Cassie <laughs> thank you <laughs> and thank you for listening yes thank you so much for listening and before we leave I just want to mention February is Black History Month and this is a good reminder for not only the month of February, Black History Month, but all of the time that we should be working towards inclusivity and diversity and making a world that isn't centering whiteness or the white experience. It is so important to believe Black people's experiences and do our best to unpack and unlearn all of the you know, white supremacy that just comes with our society. So happy Black History Month. And if you haven't this month, 
follow a black creator or um, on TikTok or social media or read some educational books. Um, I'm not going to give you that information. You can Google it. You can find that. And I think it's important for us to center black voices and amplify the black experience in the United States, in America. So we just want to say that before we signed off for this episode. So well said as always. Oh, well, thank you. I'm not perfect. Um, You know, I also make mistakes, but just it needed to be said. And we wanted to say it's important that we say that. Um, So on that note, don't forget to love yourself. Lock your doors. And light some incense. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.